We're going to talk today about the parable of the workers of the vineyard. Now, as soon as you hear the word vineyard, you should have like, you know, it's got something to do with me. Amen. Because uh, he's divine. We're the branches. And it's not the vine that produces fruit. It's the branches that produce fruit. Amen. So turn to somebody and say, we're about to be the father's business. Start showing some fruit. Start producing some fruit. All right. Gonna be one of them days, huh? Well, listen, I'll make a deal with you. I'm gonna preach. You wanna respond, that's up to you. I got a place, I got a goal to be at in the Word of God here. And I pray that you honestly, even if you've heard this story a million times already, because let's face it, many of us have read the parables of Jesus and stuff like that. But today, I'm gonna ask you to do something special. I'm gonna ask you to position yourself in such a way as if you're hearing this for the first time, okay? Because I've seen something in this that I personally hadn't seen before, and um, I'm kind of excited to bring that part to you. So what I'm going to do is um, I'm going to read you exactly from Matthew chapter 20, and then we're going to go back and study a couple of things. I'm going to read to you the parable itself, okay? Matthew chapter 20. Guys, uh, whoever's back there, I'm going to start in verse 1, and we're going to go down to verse 16, okay? So that's how many verses of Scripture? Somebody was paying attention. That means you're going to have to listen, right? Are you going to listen? All right. Jesus is speaking. For the kingdom of heaven is like, whenever Jesus says, or whenever you read in the Scriptures, for the kingdom of heaven is like, Now you position yourself. Now your ears should go, because what we're about to hear now is going to be a very practical description of how the kingdom of God operates as it pertains to us. Amen? Amen. Now we want to know that, right? Because I'm sure you realize that the kingdom of heaven operates very differently than the natural kingdom that you and I are in on this earth, right? And so sometimes if you're not careful you will miss something that's, that's, that's described as in the kingdom of God because you say, well, that doesn't make sense. It's not supposed to make sense because it's different than the kingdom that you're living in here. The system of this world is extremely different from the system of the kingdom of God. Do you understand that? I hope you do. Okay, that's why the kingdom of the world, the world says if somebody hurts you, get them back. The kingdom of God is the exact opposite. If somebody hurts you, what what does the kingdom say? Forgive them. Walk in love. Amen? Amen. So get prepared to hear some stuff that's very different than what you normally might have heard in the system of this world. You ready? Matthew chapter 20, verse 1. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner, or we could say, we could use this terminology, an employer, a person who owns a piece of property who employs individuals to work on that property. So the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning. You're going to find that later. That's the tradition. The traditional start of a workday was at 6 a.m. And usually most of us at 6 a.m. we're pushing the the alarm button, right? Or or your phone or you're trying to shut something off. Okay. Uh, So he goes out early in the morning to hire laborers for his what? Vineyard. Now, when when he had agreed with the laborers, the ones who showed up at 6 a.m., for a denarius, which is a day's wages, 
he sent them into his vineyard. So the first batch that he hires at 6 a.m., they have an expectation. They know he's expecting them to work from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m., 12 hours. Say 12 hours. 12 hours. Okay. And he went out about the third hour, 9 a.m., and saw others standing idle in the marketplace. Now, we can assume that the first batch that he hired was not enough. Why? Because he comes back three hours later and is looking for more laborers to work in the vineyard. Yes or no? Yes. Okay. And when he went out about the third hour and saw others standing idle in the marketplace, he said to them, you also go into the vineyard and whatever is right, I will give you. So they went. Again, he went out about the sixth hour, 12 noon, and again, the ninth hour, 3 p.m., and did likewise. Likewise, what does that mean? He went to the people who were still in the marketplace and said, hey, you want a job? Go to my vineyard, and I'll pay you what is right, okay? And about the 11th hour, so if 12 hours ends at 6 o'clock, what's the 11th hour? 5. 5 p.m., he went out and found others standing idle and said to them, why have you been standing here idle all day? And they said to him, because no one hired us. Duh. And he said to them, you also go into the vineyard, and whatever is right, you will receive. So when evening had come, six o'clock hits. So when evening had come, the owner of the vineyard said to his steward, or to the foreman, call the laborers and give them their wage, beginning with the last to the first. In other words, the ones who showed up at five o'clock, pay them first. You got it? Verse 9, and when those came who were hired about the 11th hour, they each received a denarius, the same amount that he promised to the ones at 6 o'clock in the morning. Okay, you're already saying, oh, that's not fair. That's not fair. <laughs> but when the first came, they supposed that they would receive more, and they likewise received each a denarius. And you're going, that's not fair. That's not fair. And when they had received it, they complained against the landowner, saying, these last men have worked only one hour, and you made them equal to us who have borne the burden and the heat of the day. Verse 13, but he, the landowner, or we could say the employer, I lost my place here. That's what I said, 13. But he answered one of them and said, uh, friend, I'm doing, I'm, not, I'm doing you no wrong. No, I'm, I'm, that's, not, that's not right. No, verse 11. Let me go back to verse 11. I want it in context. And when they had received it, the ones who started early in the morning, they complained against the landowner or the employee saying, these last men have worked only one hour and you made them equal to us who have borne the burden and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them and said, friend, I'm doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what is yours and go your way. I wish to give this last man the same as to you. Is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with my own things? Or is your, here it is, look at this. Or is your eye evil? Now that's the same in, in Middle Eastern terms. That's the same as saying, are you jealous? Are you jealous? Are you aggravated? Did you get triggered because you got the same pay as the other person? Okay? Is your eye evil because I am good? So that the last will be first and the first last, 
For many are called, but few are chosen. You catching this now? Watch this now. I've read this <laughs> for many years. Now, we did something different this weekend. I didn't tell this to anybody else, I'll tell you. About a month ago or so, I said to all the campus pastors, I said, for the month of August, I'm going to let all you guys come up with the messages that we're going to preach in the church. Now, normally, normally, how many of you know we have three campuses? Let me see your hands. How many of you don't know we have three campuses? Well, what happened to the other ones? <laughs> so, this is our main campus. We have a campus in Bayville, okay, New Beginnings in Bayville, and we have a campus in Monmouth County, New Beginnings in Wall Township. Now, the way we work the rest of the year is every week I put the notes together, and then I send them to our campus pastor so that we're all consistently teaching the same thing. Right? It's important, right, to have consistency. But I also recognize that sometimes God speaks to them about some messages too. So I said, this is what we're going to do for August. I'm going to give you guys the opportunity. So every weekend, one of the campus pastors has prepared this message. This weekend, Pastor Matt, who's the campus pastor in Bayville, put the message together. And I read through it, and I had to read through the notes about three times, and all of a sudden I went, oh my God, I never saw this before. Matthew chapter 20, this parable, this story. Now understand what a parable is. A parable is a story that most of the time is made up to use as an illustration. But the important thing is that you don't mix up what's a parable and what's a true illustration or true incident. When, Jesus, when you see Jesus say, there was a certain man, he's talking about an actual story that took place. Okay? When he says the kingdom of heaven is like you know that this is a parable. This is a story with a point to it that he's put together to cause people to understand something that maybe, naturally speaking, is difficult to understand. I did not realize that Matthew chapter 20's parable exists to answer a question that Peter had that's found in Matthew chapter 19. I had not made the connection before. I want you to see that connection. So we just read through this parable. We read about this man who's very benevolent, might even say extravagant. He's a man who knows what he wants, understands that people deserve to get a day's pay. People deserve to have some money to live on. And he wants to play a, a, an integral part in making sure that individuals' needs are met. He's also a man who understands there is a sense of urgency here. And we're going to go through this later on. Why? The grapes are on the vine. The grapes don't, can't stay on the vine indefinitely because now you don't have grapes anymore. You have raisins. Okay, you understand what I'm saying? He understands that there's a certain amount of time to get this crop in the harvest, okay? Otherwise, you're going to lose it. You getting it? Now, let's go to Matthew chapter 19. I want you to see something here. Verse 16. Matthew 19. That's a different scripture up there. Verse 16. Matthew 19, 16. I'll just read it from here. Now behold... One came and said to him, talking about Jesus, good teacher, 
What good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? In other words, what do I got to do to be saved? Okay. So he, Jesus, said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one, that is God. But if you want to enter into life, in other words, if you want to have eternal life, keep the commandments. Now understand, this is Old Testament. This is first covenant. The gospels are still under the first covenant. Okay, you got that? All right. He said to him, which ones? Jesus says, obey the commandments. The young man who's very wealthy, very rich, says, which ones? And Jesus said, you shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and your mother. And you should love your neighbor as yourself. Okay? Sounds fair. The young man said to him, all these things I have kept from my youth. In other words, I got this. I'm good here. I'm do- I've done this. So Jesus says to him, verse 21, if you want to be perfect, go sell what you have, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. Verse 22, one of the saddest verses in the Gospels. But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Now, the truth about it is the possessions had him. You catching this? The possessions had him. Here's the sad thing about this. This young man did the math. Now, we know he had to be extremely wealthy, great possessions, land, probably slaves, probably cattle, probably lots of gold and silver, okay? My possessions, give everything to the poor, follow him. And it says he went away sad because he had great possessions. He did the math and he figured it was not worth it for him to put aside everything and to follow Jesus. Now watch this now. Jesus didn't go after this guy. This guy came up to Jesus and wanted to know, what do I need to do to have eternal life? In other words, what, what, should I, what can I do that I'm, I'm, it's sealed, it's done, I don't have to worry about it in the future? And he walked him through it. And the man walked away sad. And I need to bring this point out because many people today have the wrong concept of God, have the wrong concept of Jesus. One of the things I noticed decades ago is that when this man, having had this discussion with Jesus, and Jesus very openly, very frank, very just honest through the cards on the table, he walked away sad because he had great possessions. Do you notice the next verse doesn't say, and Jesus ran after him? You notice the next verse doesn't say, oh, oh, oh excuse me, rich man. Uh, maybe you misunderstood me. Let me kind of dial that back a little bit. No. That's how it is with the kingdom of God. He's God. We're not. It's his way, not our way. It's none of this, well, you know, I know the Bible is the word of God, but the way I see it is. No, the way I see it is doesn't work with God. He throws the cards on the table and expects us to respond positively. He expects us to be obedient. Again, in the near future, I'm going to be doing a teaching about immediate obedience, like Abraham. 
When God told him to sacrifice his son that he waited 25 years for, you don't see an argument. You don't see a debate. You don't see like this guy trying to negotiate back and forth with Jesus. What you see is the next morning he gets up, gets his son, and starts heading to the place where God told him to sacrifice that one that he waited 25 years for. Okay? Isaiah chapter 1, verse 19 is still true. If you're obedient, you will eat the good of the land. This young man weighed the choices and left. Now, hopefully, when we get to heaven, we might find out that this guy came to his senses at some point, maybe, maybe before Jesus went to the cross, but certainly if not, maybe after Jesus went to the cross. Maybe this young man kind of remembered that conversation and, and repented and came back and became one of the disciples. But watch this now. This conversation is not happening just between Jesus and this rich young man. His disciples are there. They're listening to this conversation. Because don't forget, they're still watching him. They still, ha- they still don't have a clear idea who Jesus is. They're learning. They're watching him. Remember, how do we know? How do we know they still don't have an idea who Jesus is? Do you remember what happened in the boat on the storm? In the storm? When he got up from the boat, rebuked the wind, the, the, the waves immediately responded, and they said to themselves, who is this guy? that even the wind and the waves obey him. They're learning as they're going along. They're watching him. Even when he talked about his crucifixion and resurrection, they didn't understand it. So now they're listening to this conversation between Jesus and this rich young man. Watch what happens. Verse 22, but when the young man heard this, that saying, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. Then verse 23, then Jesus said to his disciples, because he knows what they're thinking. Assuredly, I say to you, it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And again, I say to you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Verse 25, when the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, saying, who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. Then Peter answered and said to him, to Jesus, See, we have left all and followed you. Therefore, what shall we have? Peter's like, We just, we did everything you told this rich guy. We left. You remember Peter, you know, because you got to read the word of God. You can't go watching Hollywood movies and form your perspective of the gospels based on Hollywood. Because Hollywood always portrays these disciples as in tattered rags, poverty-stricken, just, you know, skin and bones. No. You see, if Peter wasn't used to having some stuff, it wouldn't have bothered him that Jesus said to this man, sell everything you have and follow me. If I don't have anything and God tells you to get rid of everything, I'm not threatened. Why? Because I don't have anything to give away. If you, come to, if you come to service one day, and I don't do this as a practice, if you come to service one day and, and I get up and say, hey, the Spirit of God told me that everybody in here is to empty out their wallet and put it in the, in the offering. If you don't have anything in your wallet, you sit there going, <laughs> yes or no? But listen, if you just got paid yesterday and you cashed your check and it's all in your wallet and something like that comes out, you start sweating. Ask me how I know. <laughs> you see what I'm talking about? So stop, get, stop having your mind 
penetrated and infected by the garbage of the world that they say that everybody was poor that followed Jesus. Jesus didn't have any place to live. Hey, did they gamble for your clothes at the cross? You don't gamble for a poverty-stricken homeless man, his clothes at the cross. They gambled for Jesus' clothes at the cross. Why? Because they were very valuable. Um, when your mom had a baby shower for you before you were born, did three guys show up with silver and gold and all this other kind of stuff? <laughs> Get rid of that perspective, okay? All right? So now Peter, Peter's what? Peter comes from the back of him, like, he's, and he's right when he said, hey, we did everything that you told this rich guy to do. You remember the first time that Jesus saw Peter? He's on, Peter's fishing. Peter's in the boat. Let's not say Peter's fishing. Peter's in the boat. And, and, and Jesus says to him, could you launch the boat out a little bit? And, and Peter goes, what? Um, we've been out fishing all night and haven't caught a thing. And then Jesus says to him, go on the other side of the boat and cast a net. Nets. Nets. All right? And what happened? All these fish show up. And what happens? Jesus says to him, because Peter goes, I, see, I just seen a major miracle. Peter goes, depart from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. In other words, you shouldn't be hanging around with me. I'm a degenerate, okay? And Jesus says to him, do not be afraid. From now on, you're going to catch men. And what happens? He left the boat. James and John, together with their dad, are Peter and Andrew's partners. These are not people that are destitute. They had a big, good, good fishing business. They walked away from it. So now Peter's listening to this conversation, and Jesus just tells this guy to do what they already did. And so natural, now Peter's going like, okay, we did this. So now what's in it for us? And that's a dangerous attitude to hold in the kingdom of God. You listening to me? This can't be what's in it for us. This has to be, Father, you saved me. You stopped me from going to hell. You healed me. You, you caused my mind to be solid and stable. God, you brought my whole family in. I'm way better off now than I was years ago. Whatever you want to do. Are you listening to me? Whatever you, Lord, whatever you want to do, whatever you have for me, whatever, what, I am satisfied. You listening to me? But Peter's mindset is still, is it possible that Peter's thinking, maybe I should have walked away the way this guy did? You think, oh, no, that's, that's Peter. That's St. Peter. Well, he's Peter, the, the fisherman. A person just like you and I, same concerns about taking care of his family, same concerns about his status in his community, same concerns about how many fish I'm going to catch. Same pressures, same concerns. And in response to Jesus, excuse me, in response to Peter's question, what shall we have? In other words, hey, we're the first ones with you here. Now, all these other people, because everybody starts with the 12, and then we know there's 70, and we know eventually there's 500, and then it talks about multitudes. So Peter's probably thinking, hey, you know, we were some of the first people with him. We, you know, I, I, I should have at least like an usher's jacket with a little metal on it or something. 
Oh, so you've been pondering, you've been pondering this. You understand what I'm saying? And you know, like years ago, people get like little gold buttons if they served in church for a certain thing. Uh, Peter's going, hey, you know, we should. And, and we know this is a fact of how they're thinking. And we know that they don't really get over it here immediately. Why? Because fast forward to the Last Supper. James and John's mother is trying to work a deal with Jesus, <laughs> negotiating with him. Hey, now they don't know he's going to the cross the next day. They don't know this is the last meal they're going to have with him. Because I think they would have more common sense to bring this kind of a thing up to Jesus. And you imagine Jesus, Jesus, God bless him for his patience because he's there. He knows in the next 12 hours, I'm going to go through hell. And he's so gracious. Me, if they would have tried to pull all that stuff that they pulled at the Last Supper, I would have been tossing tables. <laughs> like, don't you know what's going to happen to me in the next 12 hours? Jesus is calm, he's gracious, and she, the mother of James and John, go to Jesus and say, hey, when you enter into your kingdom, would you take my one son and put him on your right hand and my other son and put him on your left hand? In other words, I'm looking for a deal here. Because, you know, my sons gave up the fishing. She's not saying this, but this is what she's thinking. My sons left their father to follow you and the poor guy's walking around like this now, okay? She's making a deal with him. For what? In other words, she's saying, what's in it for us? What about my sons? Okay? Listen, you and I can't be in this for what we get. I'm going to say something. I hope you don't get mad at me. You, if you come to church just for what you're going to get, you have the same attitude that Peter. We're supposed to come together to share what our experience had been all throughout the week, not just to come here and sit here. Well, I'm, I'm kind of, you know, the message was good, but I'm kind of disappointed. They didn't do the song I like. You come together because you want to experience the presence of God together and he fills in all the blanks are you listening so in response jesus tells the story about this man now of course we know it's symbolic of god the father the vineyard is the kingdom of god here on earth he's the vine dresser he's the one who takes care of the vines he's also responsible for hiring those that are going to go out into the harvest field to go and gather the harvest. And there is an urgency. And we, if it was urgent 2,000 years ago, how much more urgent is it now that the people that God has called into his vineyard be about his business of going out and getting as many people. Now, I'm blessed to see as many of you here today. Totally blessed. Because this, you know, what's this, the second week in August? Not supposed to be like this, okay? Normally, the last two weeks of July, first two weeks of August, are crickets because everybody's on vacation. Now, I'm glad you're all here. And I'm glad there's so many of you that are newcomers and new faces. And we're so grateful that you're here with us. But listen to me. Don't come here just because you might like to hear what I have to say. Don't come here just because you might like the music. Come here because you want to get equipped so that you now are a worker in the vineyard. Amen. Are you listening to me? Whew. 
He doesn't need spectators. He, oh my God. The landowner said to the people that were hanging around with the, in the marketplace, what are you doing hanging around? In other words, it's harvest time. You should have been out in the fields already. You should, you should be out there. And every time he came back, whether it was at 9 o'clock, whether it was at noon, whether it's at 3 in the afternoon, he's like, what are you guys hanging around for? Now, and Jesus said to the disciples, the kingdom of heaven is like the vineyard. So there's going to come a day when you and I are going to stand in front of the vine dresser in heaven, and he's going to go, why did you hang around idle when there was so much harvest to bring in? Oh, I'm glad he came to church this morning. Three things that Jesus wanted them to understand. Now, you remember, the guys that were there at 6 o'clock, when it came pay time, they're like, this is awesome. He gave the guy that worked an hour a full day's pay. So they start thinking, well, if he worked one hour and got a full day's pay, then that means that you, you and I, hey, we've been here since 6 o'clock. Yeah, I'm sweating, man. Crazy. I can't wait to get home and, and get in the air conditioning, right? <laughs> Watch this now. They started figuring amongst themselves. If he paid them a full day's wage and they only worked an hour, he's going to give us 12 days worth of wages. So how shocked do you think they were when they got the same pay? And what's the lesson? Number one, they agreed to the wage, but they started to compare themselves with the other ones that showed up. They started comparing. We're harder working. That guy showed up at 12 o'clock, man. Look at him. He looks like he worked three days already, and he's only been here a few hours. They started comparing one another. They started measuring their value. Yeah, we're better workers than they are. We've been here since 6 o'clock, and we're working hard. Oh, he must, he must think we're better because he chose us first. And then the other ones, he knew they couldn't work as hard. And that's a mistake that we make in the kingdom. The mistake is a comparison, comparing one another with each other. Galatians chapter 3, verse 28, Paul wrote and said this, There is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. As far as that landowner was concerned, as far as the employer was concerned, everybody was equal in his sight. You listening? Everybody was equal in his sight. Now let me ask you this question. Wouldn't that, in the natural, we would get aggravated? Now think about this. Jesus is on the cross. There's two thieves, one on one side, one on the other. One guy's mocking Jesus. The other guy says to him, do you have any shame? Do you have any reverence? Don't you realize who this is? And says to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you enter into your kingdom. How different is that from James and John's mother? Hey, you know, uh, my kids worked hard for you here. They're one of the first ones that showed up when you started calling people. I think it's only proper that you give one, one throne on, your, on one, one side of your throne and the other side of your throne. Look at the, 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 the humility of that thief on the cross. And Jesus, what did Jesus say? Nah, it ain't going to work. Because, you know, you're on the cross now. You can't go do stuff for me. You can't go pray 16 hours. You can't go, uh, you can't go empty your bank account and bring it to me. What happened? He said, today you will be with me in paradise. Got the same 
reward as the ones who served all their lives as far as entering the kingdom of God. Now, we know that God is just, right? Okay. But if God desires to pour out his abundance on somebody, that's none of our business. And that's what the landowner says to, to the workers. What business is it of yours, how I spend my money? If I want to bless this person who spent 11 hours in the marketplace sweating, worrying about how he's going to feed his kids, worrying about what he's going to tell his wife when he gets home, worrying about how they're going to repossess his chariot, okay? Worrying about all these things. If I want to bless him for being patient, that's my business, right? right. Yes or no? Okay. So the danger when we compare each other is that we might have the opportunity to miss out on some of the favor of God. Uh, let me give this to you in a more practical sense, and I got to move faster. I've heard people say this. Don't, maybe I should turn around because it's inevitable. Somebody's, oh, I know you were looking at me when you said that. <laughs> I've had people come up to say, Pastor, I don't understand something. My grandmother was in church for 50 years, served God, always paid her tithes, always supported everything. And she died from her sickness. I've seen so-and-so just come to church, just recently get saved. In fact, one service they showed up drunk and smelling like cigarette smoke. And God heals them on the spot. You see, because the way we think, God should have made that person suffer a little bit more. And the grandmother should have got healed. That's not how God operates. Are you listening to me? Okay, number one, because somebody's thinking right now, well, how come she didn't get healed? We don't know. You don't know that maybe she's telling her family she wants to live, but secretly at night she's praying, God, I'm done, take me home. We don't know, because God honors the wishes of individuals. I've had this happen many, many, many times when a person's, in fact, when a person has gone through chronic illness for a long, long, long time, I will inevitably at some point say to them, what do you want to do? Do you want to keep fighting or do you want to go home? I'll fight with you, but what do you want to do? And especially if they're up in age. Many times, man, I can think of one person, an elderly gentleman, mid-70s, got healed of cancer. Um, I want to get this right. Joe, um, no. Doesn't matter. We had a service in the cafeteria where you would think nothing would happen when we used to meet in schools. They wouldn't let us meet in the, in the auditorium because there was something really important going on, a duck trophy show. So they said, you can't have the auditorium today. You have to go meet in the cafeteria. I'm like, yeah, the Holy Ghost ain't going to show up in the cafeteria. Right. I learned the lesson that day. In the cafeteria, during worship, I get this word about somebody who's got this lump in the back here. And this gentleman come up. Joe Hassan, yeah, Come, remember that? Comes up, I did, just about touched his forehead, bam, he goes out on the ground, goes to the doctor, cancer's gone, lump's gone, cancer's gone. In the cafeteria. No lighting. No comfortable, we're sitting on metal chairs. And the Holy Ghost shows up, heals him. Six months later, they find a spot on his lump. Went and met with him. He said, Pastor, 
I've lived long enough. I don't want to go through this fight. He sa- I said, what do you want to do? He goes, I'm just going to go home and be with the Lord. A few months later, boom, go home and be with the Lord. Okay? Now, somebody on the outside said, well, well what, what happened? He got healed the first time. Why don't you heal the second time? Because his will has something to do with it. Don't you know God will give you the desires of your heart? Okay? And so especially, you got to be careful because, and I just recently told this story. Oh, do I tell this? Oh, thank you. So blame her if we're late. Many years ago, when we used to have midweek service on Thursday night instead of Wednesday night, we're here, we're getting ready to have service. It's about 10 to 7. And I hear all this commotion. Uh, one of the ladies whose son actually worked for the ministry parked across the street in the kitchen cabinet parking lot. And as she's crossing the street, it's dark out. It was in wintertime. It's dark out. She's crossing the street, and somebody else coming to church hits her. And severely. Okay? So now she's single mom with his only son. He has no family, no relatives. Uh, I don't remember who I turned the service over to. Jump in the car, follow the, follow the ambulance to Jersey Shore. And I'm up during the night, all night, and with my face pressed against the glass, and it was sleeting outside. And I'm telling the Lord, Father, don't let her get a glimpse of the other side because she's had a tough life. And if she gets a glimpse of the other side, she ain't coming back. And I'm going to end up having to raise her son. Now, I didn't mind that because he was close in age with our sons, but I knew that wasn't God's best for him. So I prayed that way and prayed that way and prayed that way. And then finally then I stopped and went off and did some other things. A month later, we finally get to go visit her in the hospital. She comes out of a coma, all kinds of surgeries. And I said to her, so tell me, what did you see while you were out? She goes, could you believe this? I didn't see anything. <laughs> I'm out. From the time that the accident happened until like a day before, two days before, I don't know what happened. I was like, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> but you see now, you see now, some people would say, well, shouldn't a person that was faithful all these years, shouldn't they, how come, how come they didn't get healed? And this other newcomer who's still smoking, still drinking, probably still doing whatever, how come they get healed? If God wants to be extravagant with his grace, is it our business? No. no. So God doesn't want us comparing ourselves with each other, trying to work deals. What's in it for me? If you took care of them, why can't you take care of me? Okay? Because every one of our situations, is this hitting anybody today? Because every one of our situations are different. And your relationship with your Father in heaven is customized. He knows exactly what you're going to need all throughout your life. Leave it up to him. Don't spend your life going, well, how come they have this? And how come they have that? And how come I don't have this? How come they, and how come God did this for them? Why don't you shut up and start praying and start, start worshiping God? Because all the breath that you're spending and the energy you're spending, worrying about, you could be spending praying right now, right? So turn to somebody and say, have wisdom. Know when to shut up. Now watch this. He doesn't want us to compare ourselves with each other. He wants to be free to be extravagant. Now watch this now. I don't have a lot of time, so stay cool, all right? Watch. 
when my wife and I were raising four sons, we had more need because they like to eat. <laughs> they like to eat. They like nice stuff, nice sneakers, nice clothes. Now, don't you know that God knew that we had to raise four sons? Don't you know even further down the road that God knew that we were going to have nine grandsons? So now watch this now. If you have one, one child and they produce one grandchild, don't get mad at me if he blesses me more because I got on Christmas time? Oh, my God. I don't even want to go there. And, and she's not like a, a one or two gift grandmother. I have to count my lists. Lists. And then about a week before Christmas, she lays everything out and she starts going, oh, um, I got more for this one than I got for the other one. I got to go get him more. I said, no, no, take one off for the other one. <laughs> and save it for the birthday. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? My point is this. Everyone's needs are different. And then I'm going to tell you another story and then I'm going to move on to, because to, I'm doing the same thing Jesus did, right? Amen. Telling stories. Watch this now. Many, many years ago, I heard Kenneth Copeland tell this story and it stuck with me all these years. He said in his early years of ministry, now there are major ministries over 50, at least 50 years in ministry. He said one of the very first crusades he did overseas was in Africa. I think it was in Mozambique. And this is one of the first ones, and it cost him $150,000 to put this crusade. And I'm talking 30 years ago, $150,000 was money. It was money, okay? He said, so now the, the crusade's over. He's getting ready to leave the country. And he's, he's in the downtown area of the city, and he's having this conversation with God in his head, going like, God, you know, we spent 150000 We really didn't have that much effect here. We didn't see that many salvations. We really feel like, man, I feel like we blew it here. And as he's having this conversation in his head, he notices there's a little old lady standing next to him with these big bags full of stuff. And he, still having the conversation with God, motions to her, takes the bag, takes her arm and walks her across the street to the other side. And by the time he got to the other corner, God said to him, if I wanted to spend $150,000 so you can walk this lady across the street, that's my business, not yours. You listen? Because see, we look at things differently. We look at things differently. God is an extravagant God. Think about how extravagant he's been with you. He accepted you. He accepted me with all of our filth, all of our garbage, all of our baggage, all of our sin, all of our quirks. He received us as if we were perfect. Amen. You better thank God that he's extravagant. And the last one is the sense of urgency. You remember? I'm three minutes and I'm out of here, so stop. Don't start twitching. Okay. <laughs> The, the owner of the vineyard kept going back for more workers, which tells us that there were not enough to begin with. And I'm telling you, Jesus described our Father in heaven in the same terms, the Lord of the harvest. And he tells us, pray to the Lord of the harvest, to send out, to raise up, to choose, to call more 
laborers. There is an urgency. Listen to me, church, please. Stop living your life for yourself. You're, short, you're shorting yourself. You are actually cutting yourself short when you live your life. Well, I have this dream, and I want to accomplish this, and I want to get this, and I want to have that. And by, you know me. By the time I, my thing was, by the time I'm 30 years old, I want to retire. Now it happened. But unfortunately, all we had to live on was unemployment. You didn't get that. By the time I was 30 years old, I was already in bankruptcy. I had gone through the whole bit. And I was retired. Walking up and down the boardwalk at Seaside Park. No, you know, just barely enough to make it. But that wasn't my original plan. But you see, I was going to do it. I was going to do it. I had the whole plan. I had the whole thing. I'm going to open up this business and that business. My first business I opened up when I was 19 years old. Had the plan. Yeah. If you will go and be about the business of the father, be about the business of the vine dresser, be about the business of the Lord of the harvest, Jesus put it this way, and all these things will be added unto you. Just go do what he told you to do. But you don't understand, Pastor. I have a five-year plan and a 10-year plan. And a... He's got an eternal plan. And knows every stop and knows every place and knows where to provide for you. Knows what people to put in your path. But if you're going to be busy about your business, you can't be busy about his business. And that's what Jesus is trying to get over to the disciples. Like, just go do what I told you to do. I'll take care of you. I'll take care of you. Did you learn anything today? All right. It's late. We got to go. Some of your stomachs are growling. I can't hear it all the way from up here. <laughs> so listen, please give me your attention before we, we start scattering here. What do you want to do? What do you want to do? Because some of you, I know I went through cycles in my life, just caught like spinning my wheels. Come up with this idea. Come up with that idea. Try this investment. Do this. Buy that. And still the most miserable person in the world. But when I stepped into, oof, when I stepped into the vineyard, it didn't matter anymore. Because to have little, the Bible tells us, with great contentment is better. For the blessings of the Lord make us rich, and he adds no sorrow to it. All I knew before was sorrow and still no rich. Step into the vineyard. Make your life about the Father's business. Ask him on a daily basis, Lord, what am I supposed to do? You know, look, we have to work. We got jobs. We understand that. But your job is a harvest field. Your neighborhood is a harvest field. Your family is a harvest field. And listen, if you're like me, you get to a season of life where the older ones in the family are starting to drop. There should be an urgency. We don't know how long they're going to be around. You listening to me? Go and do the work of the harvest. Don't worry about what you're going to get paid. Don't worry about what's in it for you. When your heart is right, trust me, it all falls into place. 
I'm not talking to you from theory. I'm talking to you from fact. Some of you will not understand what I'm going to say, and you won't take it the right way. My wife and I are blessed beyond what we ever could have imagined. And you want to know why? It was never a priority. The priority was reaching souls. The priority was having faith to start a ministry in a place where people said, it'll never work. Having faith to say, okay, what do we got to sell to accomplish this, that, and the other thing? And God blessed it because we weren't paying attention to it. (laughs) It was only a few years ago that I said to my wife, where do we stand financially? How are we doing? And she brought me and I went, how did this happen? How did this happen? Up until that point, I had no idea. How did this happen? How do we, how do we get this? Listen to me. Go do the work of the Father. Whatever you need, he's going to supply to you. But if you're going to take that energy and take your faith and use it for something else, you may get a few things, but in the end, you're going to find out you shorted yourself. You should have trusted him. He had so much more, so much more. You listening to me? My heart for you today. And if you see me get emotional, it's out of gratitude because I don't know how it happened. And, 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 and I'm the last person that should have been that blessed. I want you to experience the same thing. But if you're so busy with what's in it for me, you're going to miss it. And you'll go, to, you'll go to heaven. But when you get there, it might happen where Jesus goes, I blessed you as far as I could, but I had so much more planned for you but you wouldn't trust me. Go be about the Father's business. Amen. Amen. I don't know what that is. Don't come up to me and say, well, Pastor, what do you think? No, honey, I'm still trying to figure mine out. (laughs) You'll know if you ask. He'll show you. He'll show you. And listen to me. Don't ever be afraid to step out and follow God because where God guides, he provides. You listening to me? God bless you all. I pray that this has impacted your heart, and I pray more so that the Holy Spirit continues to reveal himself to you along these lines. If you do need prayer for anything, please don't leave. Come up here, and there's people here that will pray for you. Amen? God bless you. Go enjoy the rest of the weekend. Go be about the Father's business. Go wash somebody's feet. Go provide somebody's food. Go go give somebody a hug. Amen?